How are you this morning? Good, good. It's a tough morning to be a Texas Longhorn. And that's okay. We celebrate with those who celebrate as followers of Christ. We grieve with those who grieve. But it's a good, good day to be in the house. As a matter of fact, today, today is, is we're, we're going to have some fun today. So we're, we're going to make today's whole message a little interactive. So I want you, if you grew up maybe in a, in a church tradition that was, you know, very, you know, starched and stayed and you never spoke in church, whatever, that's cool, that's fine, but this ain't that church. So I need everybody to kind of sit up, take a deep breath. If you need to take another sip of coffee to get properly caffeinated, go for it. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to blurt out your answer. I want, I want some blurting going on in the room, okay? You, you with me? You tracking? I want, I want you to just, the first thing that comes in your mind, I just want you to say it out loud. It's okay. There's no judgment necessarily. There's just the first thing that comes to your mind, let it come out of your mouth. Just, just act like a three-year-old, okay? Just, if it's here, it comes out there. Here's the question. If I told you you could have one wish, one wish, what, don't, don't think about this, don't filter it, just on the count of three, I want you to just blurt out one wish. I could give you one wish, what would it be? One, two, three. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this question. Does anybody right now feel like you're being judged by the people around you? Maybe a little bit. I asked, I asked some folks in the first service, I said, what'd you wish for? And the first, first lady I asked, she said, health for my family. I was like, that, that's, a, that's a good one, health for the family. Now, let me ask you, what, what were some of the, what were, what'd you wish for? Say it out loud. To get the glitter off of you. To get the glitter off of you. Okay, I'm not even gonna ask, but we'll, we'll wish for that with you. Um, what were some other things? Maybe you, maybe you, you might wish for a new car. Can I just say, be honest, you're in church, this is family here, that's okay. When I was in college, getting ready to graduate in 1990, I was driving a 1979 Oldsmobile 98. I know, don't be jealous. This, I mean, this was the definition, whoa, land yacht. It was absolutely enormous. And this car was on its last legs. It was one of those cars where, you know, every car has that liner in the top of the ceiling, and it was so old and it had been out in the, it, the, the, the sun had released the glue that held on. How many of you have ever driven a car that had the liner coming down from the top? Look at all these people of character in this church. I love that. The radiator kept springing leaks. Did, how many of y'all have ever used a a product called liquid radiator. Can I see a show of hands? What this does, kids, is when your radiator has holes in it, little pinholes, you pour this into the radiator and it plugs the hole so that you can drive it for another 10 minutes. <laughs> this was where we were with this car. And I remember being here in Austin, particularly getting back to school my senior year, August, September, and it's so hot. And I just wished I, I didn't need a new car. I'm not talking about a Porsche or a Lamborghini. If, I, if somebody had offered it, I'd have taken it. I just wanted a car that when I stuck the key in the ignition, I, I felt like every time I turned this car on, 
I was on one of those old 70s detective shows where they turn the car on and it explodes. I, I just felt like this car is never working right. I wished for a car that would run. How many of you have ever had that wish? Or maybe you have it right now, I don't know. That, that's, that's one of those things you just, I just, I, to this day, car trouble drives me absolutely batty. I mean, drives me up the wall. That's just one of my own little pet peeves in the world. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you a different question. What if I said, I'm not asking you what you would wish for, but if I said, list the three greatest desires of your heart, what would that look like? Isn't it, isn't it true that a desire of our heart is different than a wish? A wish is something we, we wish for as we're blowing out the candles on the birthday cake, but a desire, that, that goes to the core of who we are. Our desires, I think, really and truly are, are some of the greatest, the greatest indicators, the greatest barometers of, of where we are actually spiritually, personally, emotionally, how, how we're really doing is, is honestly really clearly revealed in the desires of our heart. For the last few weeks as a church, we have been in this series, The Bible for All It's Worth. And, and I will tell you in full disclosure that this message series that we are devoting almost 10% of our year to this message series is born out of a very real desire that I have for you as, as your pastor, as, as a friend, as a fellow journeyer with Christ. My desire is that this series would cultivate and feed the fire of a, a desire, of, of an affection for you in your life for the word of God. That you would look at the Bible and see it as what it really is, and it is a gift from a God who loves us unconditionally, a God who created us on purpose, with a purpose, and in his grace, his undeserved favor, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, he has given us this gift of the Bible, and that that desire in you, that as you feed the fire of that desire, as you cultivate that affection for scripture, it, it will snowball and compound in your life. And the fact of the matter is, if this desire comes true, it doesn't, it doesn't really change anything circumstantially in mind. It's, it's only because I love you. It's only because this is what I think God has in store for everyone who wants it, that it is their for the taking. I, I genuinely want it for you. I, I hope and I pray that this desire is, is ignited, that it's lit on fire in your life. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you've been with us throughout this series at all, you know that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. Now, for the longest time, I thought, well, that's an interesting little factoid. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And when you go and you look at it, you go, man, 176 verses, that's a lot of verses in one chapter. And for the longest time, I thought it was kind of just a random occurrence 
that God, as he was inspiring the writer of Psalm 119, got to Psalm 1, got to verse 176 and went, yeah, I'm good. We're done here. Let's move on to Psalm 120. But in actuality, there is a very, very real method to God's madness in Psalm 119. There's a very real pattern. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But in Psalm 119, I want us to take a look at verses 10 and 11 and see what it says about our desires. Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11. It says, I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your command. So this is a prayer. This is the, the writer of Psalms praying to God. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I will seek you with all of my heart. And because I'm seeking you with all of my heart, I'm hiding your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Now, very quickly, I want us to just kind of recap where we've been through this series so far, because we, we started at kind of a, at ground level to build a foundation. We're, we're, we're climbing a mountain on this series. We're nearing the top. We're nearing the finish of the climb. But let's just real quickly remember where we've been. We talked about in the first installment that the purpose of the Bible is to reveal God and his invitation to relationship, that God reveals himself through the Bible and he invites us into relationship. That's, that's the purpose of the Bible. The second week, we talked about the fact that there are, in fact, rules, commands, principles, and precepts in the Bible, but the rules are there to serve the relationship. We said that relationship rules. In God's economy, whatever you want to believe about God, whatever preconceived notions you walked in with, just understand that in God's economy, in his interactions with people like you and me, relationship rules. Now, we're not minimizing the rules. We're not saying the commands don't matter, but we're saying they serve the relationship. Last week, we, we kind of turned a corner a little bit and started looking at it in a new perspective, in a new light, and we talked about the fact that not only does relationship rules, but the sound of freedom is truth. That God has given us the Bible as a path to freedom, and that through Scripture pointing us to Christ, in Christ we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We said that we have to read the Bible with spiritual bifocals. We look at it as prescription. There are rules, there are regulations, do this, don't do that. It's, a, it's what it prescribes but it is also a description. It describes God, who he is. It describes us. It tells us who we are. It describes how we interact with him, how this world is designed to work. And when we think about scripture, when we start to view God through description and prescription, we get these spiritual bifocals that give us a fuller, more accurate picture of who God is, of what this life is is all about. So again, we start to see that the Bible becomes a help. It becomes a tool in our arsenal to help us understand God, to help us know God better. This week, as we talk about our desires, we talk about the desires of our heart, it comes down to this. Our desires determine our disciplines. Our desires determine our disciplines. 
Now, I have to remember, we said we're going to make this interactive, okay? How many of us, as soon as I say the word discipline, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't really like that word. Can I just see a show of hands? Be honest. Okay. How many of us, when you say the word discipline, you're like, all right, I love discipline. That's great. Both of y'all is so good. It's so good because it's important for us to understand that discipline for the sake of discipline never lasts. It never works. Nobody keeps rules just for the sake of rules. But disciplines that serve our desires, disciplines that then begin to see fruit and productivity and effect, then we start to understand how they feed and our desires are satisfied through those disciplines. So it becomes our desires that drive our disciplines, that fuel our disciplines. I've told y'all before, Julie and I, from time to time, will engage in this, this crazy eating program called Whole30. How many of y'all have ever done a Whole30? Just show of hands if you have it. Man, not that many. We had a lot healthier crowd at 9.59. Anyway, <laughs> here's what Whole30 is. It is no grains, no dairy, no processed or added sugar, no alcohol, no taste, no fun, no enjoy. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. Actually, you, you learn a lot of great things that you can eat. But here's what happens. It's an amazing process as you commit to the 30 days of eating like this. You start out and you're gung-ho and you, you buy a bunch of new Tupperware dishes and you do meal prep and you go to the grocery store and spend thousands of dollars and come home and then you, you grill and you bake and you roast and you prepare and you put it all in there. And on day two, you're kind of like, oh, man, I, I feel good. I feel great. Day three, day four, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I mean, this, whoo, man, I am whew, disciplined. Here we go. Day five. Day six, day seven. Man, I really love Captain Crunch. <laughs> but I'm on day seven of whole 30, so I'm not going to do that. Day eight, nine, ten, you start to get mean. <laughs> you, you become kind of kind of just ugly to be around, honestly. Days 11 through 15, you're thinking about moving to a desert island. But on day 2022, your body has adjusted to this new way of eating. And, and you're starting to go, you know what? I, I am tasting the food differently. And I am, I notice that I'm sleeping better. I notice that I'm. I'm, I'm through being mean and ugly to people, and I'm, I'm in a little bit better mood. And, and you know what? I think I will have that kale. And so you, you stay with it. And then there's an interesting thing that happens about day 27, day 28. You go, man, I feel really good, but let's be honest. 28 is four weeks. That's close to 30. I'm getting me some ice cream. But when you leg it out, when you push through and you finish day 30, you start to discover that all of a sudden it wasn't really that 
hard. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, let, let's be honest, there are people in this world who are fighting disease. Me not putting a pound of sugar in my coffee ain't that big a deal. But that discipline, you start to see results. You start to feel differently. You start to act differently. You start to live differently. And you discover this incredibly powerful principle that transcends what we eat or don't eat. That sometimes you do the right thing because it's the right thing until it feels right. You do the right thing because it's right until it feels right. And there is this amazing spiritual synergy that takes place inside your soul. And that is what happens with Scripture. When you begin to digest Scripture, when you begin to spiritually metabolize the Word of God repeatedly over and over again, you begin to see differences in how you think about other people. You begin to see differences in how you talk, the words that come out of your mouth and maybe the words that don't come out of your mouth. You begin to see these differences, and over time, the Word of God begins this incredible process in your life. The Bible says that the, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it discerns our hearts and minds. You see, when we read the Bible, what's really going on is the Bible's reading us. The Bible is, is getting at my heart. And that's why I think Psalms is so powerful. The entire book of Psalms is poetry. It's sometimes King David writing, other poets, other kings who who God inspired to write these psalms, these hymns, these words of worship. They're lifting up and there's this honesty, this, this transparency that happens. And so when we read psalms, it, it leads us into the word of God. It leads us into other parts of the word of God. I think one of the most fascinating people of the last hundred years has to be Bono, the lead singer of U2. Bono is a fascinating cat. Now, I don't, you may not like their music. You may be crazy about their music. It doesn't really matter. You have to admit, U2 has had an amazing run. And Bono is a committed follower of Christ. And, and he's spoken very openly about how his faith was formulated in, in his church in Ireland growing up, but particularly as he went to the book of Psalms, as he began to read Psalms and it opened up his mind and his heart to how music and poetry and worship could feed the fire of his faith. This is what Bono writes. He says, words and music did for me what solid, even rigorous and religious argument could never do. They introduced me to God. Not just belief in God, but more an experiential sense of God over art, literature, girls, my mates. The way into my spirit was a combination of words and music. As a result, the book of Psalms always felt open to me and led me to the poetry of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, then the book of John. My religion could not be fiction, 
but it had to transcend facts. It could be mystical, but not mythical. Isn't that true? There's something that happens when we worship, when we lift up the name of Jesus, particularly when we do it together in the same room. And if you're online, we look forward to having you back in the room, but when we're all in the same room and we're lifting up the name and you hear the worship ringing off of the rafters, that doesn't happen at a Van Halen concert. It only happens because God is in the worship. God is in the place where two or more are gathered. There's this supernatural drive that happens, particularly as we go to God's word. The verse that we read, Psalm 119, I will seek you with all my heart. And then it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I'm gonna hide your word, I'm gonna make your word a part of the fiber of who I am so as not to damage or rupture this relationship that you created me for. So there's this, this spiritual game, this spiritual dynamic that's at play. How many of you remember when you were kids, or maybe even recently, playing the game hide and seek? Can I just see a show of hands? How many of us have played hide and seek in the last two years? Raise your hand. That's awesome. No, okay, now you, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think if you haven't played hide and seek lately, you're missing out Hide-and-seek's fun, isn't it? It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Hide-and-seek can be a blast, particularly if you're playing with kids. If you're playing with kids, hopefully you're smarter and you can win. But you learn the fun of hide-and-seek. This dynamic that I'm talking about is a spiritual hide-and-seek that transcends any games because in God's economy, When we seek him with everything we have, he is is the aim, he is the goal of our lives. And we hide his word in our heart. We, We hide his word and we seek him. Then we begin to experience the life that is truly life. We begin to live out what he's created us for. And it begins to make sense. But again, it goes back to the desires of our heart. What what are the things that drive you? Because remember, our desires drive our disciplines. I remember when when Julie and I first started dating, we had kind of a weird beginning because we had known each other for so long before we actually started dating. We, We were friends for six or seven years before we ever went out on a date. So we didn't have any of the dating gamesmanship that you have to go through a lot of times to get to know somebody. You know what I'm talking about. We did, I already knew her. I knew her sense of humor. I knew her family. I knew, I knew man, I, I, we didn't have to go through any of that. And as a result of that, the second that I realized, whoa, I, I, I think I'm romantically interested in this girl. I, I remember this is, this is how God just kind of I think was guiding me through what I was thinking. This is how God talks to me. I just remember thinking, if you don't marry her, you're an idiot. That's how God talks to me. I I remember that vividly. But as soon as I realized this this is who God wants me to marry, 
man, she became the pursuit of my heart. She became, I mean, it's like, Julie this, Julie that. What does Julie want? What does Julie like? What does Julie like to eat? What does she want to do? It was exhausting. <laughs> but it was awesome. I remember we were dating. We were here in Austin. She had come down from Waco. She went to, she went to school at a little junior college in, in Waco called Baylor. And I'm just kidding. Listen, this morning, as a Texas Longhorn, I'm speaking from a place of pain. It hurts. But anyway, she was in Austin one weekend, and, and one of us, I don't remember which one, said, let's go get some Mexican food. The other one said, amen, let's do it. We do it. So Julie's from South Mississippi, man. She doesn't know Mexican food from a hole in the ground. And we're driving down the road here in Austin somewhere, and we see the all-too-familiar bell of Taco Bell. And we had just said, let's go get Mexican food. And Julie goes, let's go to Taco Bell. I go, no, you said you wanted Mexican food. That's not Mexican food. It's not Mexican. It's not food. It doesn't meet any of the requirements. So I had to, I had to kind of help cultivate her Mexican food palate a little bit. But she, she man, that, when, I, when I realized... I. I the pursuit of your heart, the desire of your heart. That's what, that's what Psalm 119 is describing here. And so when you seek God with all your heart, you hide his word in your heart. You, you make it a part of who you are. And so I want to use the word hide as an acrostic, just, just to help us remember. Remember, we're going to make today interactive, so I'm going to use H-I-D-E. So I'm going to start, obviously, with H, but I want you to kind of, kind of lean in a little bit. And when I say, give me an H, I want passion, baby. So give me an H. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Have time for Scripture. Have time for Scripture. I think one of the primary reasons we stagnate spiritually or we don't go where God wants us to go is because we're too busy. We don't make the time to go to God's word. Have time for it. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to have time for scripture every day for the next 22 days. Every day for the next 22 days. And I, there's a reason why I picked 22 also. I know some of you are thinking, well, 21 days makes a habit. That ain't it. It's a nice little addendum, but that's not the reason why. Have time. Set aside 20 minutes every day to read Scripture and pray. And, and, and I'm going to give you a way to do this, but just for right now, let's just remember, have time. Have time. Listen. Set aside a place where you do this. If, if it's the kitchen table, make sure it's before anybody else is awake or up. Make sure your phone is in a different room on silent, not even on vibrate. You will not believe, you will not believe how liberating it is to walk away from your phone for 20 minutes. Some of you may just go nuts and go 25, but just set it down. It's going to be fine, I promise. If you're doing it early in the morning, which I don't encourage you to, it doesn't have to be, but if you do it early, ain't nobody calling you that you want to talk to before 7 a.m. anyway. Don't, don't even worry about it. But have time 
for Scripture. I. Give me an I. 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 Intentionalize your time in Scripture. Intentionalize your time in Scripture. And just for the record, I know that intentionalize is not a word. I made it up, but I think it communicates volumes. Be intentional with your time in Scripture. Here's what I mean. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Here's why it has 176 verses. I want to show you something. If you go to Psalm 119, you'll notice that every eight verses has a word in bold ahead of it. There's Aleph, there's Beth, it's Beit in Hebrew. Beit, Gimel, keep going. The next eight, there's Daleth, keep going. Hey, all of these Hebrew words are there because that's the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And the way this chapter was written originally, this song, this song of worship, was every eight verses started with the letter of that particular section. So, because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there are eight verses devoted to each letter as this acrostic throughout, Eight times 22 is 176. That's why there are 176 verses in Psalm 119. But if you will read eight verses a day, read those eight verses and pray those eight verses. Ask God to show you what he wants to teach you about himself, about yourself, about life. Just take eight verses. You don't have to read five chapters a day. Nobody, that'd be like, That'd be like going to uh, a buffet and just spending four hours at the buffet. Nobody walks away from that healthy. I heard what I love, I don't remember who said this, but it was so true. Nobody goes to Golden Corral and walks out feeling better about themselves. (laughs) I love that principle. Take eight verses and intentionalize your time with Scripture intentionalize it, pray about it, read it. D, give me a D. D. Document your time in Scripture. Pen and paper. Get a notebook and write down what you think about. Write down what you're praying about as you're reading Scripture, as you're taking it in. Document it. Make the time to do that Not as a school assignment. Remember, this is ultimately about relationship with God. So write down and document what you're thinking about, what you're praying about as you read Scripture. Here's the amazing thing. As you document your spiritual journey, what God is teaching you, what God is showing you, you start to see patterns to God's faithfulness. You start to see, as the days stack up in your notebooks, you see the faithfulness and the track record of God stack up. And it becomes this incredible encouragement. It becomes this fuel to the fire of your faith. So so document that time. I heard a great thing this past week or two weeks ago about a girl who was in college, and 
she would write, when she would sit down with her quiet time every day, she would write at the top of the notebook page, discipline or desire. If she was doing it because she knew she needed to do it and she was trusting the process, then she would write down discipline. But if she was doing it because she really wanted to and she felt like she was being drawn into this time and she was excited about it, she would write down desire. Either way, she did it. But she was honest and transparent before God and with herself about what was motivating her that day. But when you remember that your desires drive your discipline, you, you, you start to go, okay, even though I may not feel like it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit down and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to document it. E, give me an E. e. Enjoy your time in Scripture. Enjoy it. If you've lived any amount of time at all, you've noticed that we typically find what we're looking for in other people, in the world. If you expect the worst from people, that's usually what you see. If you expect the best from people, that's also usually what you see. But if you go to God to enjoy your time with God, then you see that discipline as a means to the end of enjoying God, of the desire of your heart to seek him with all your heart. This, this spiritual reality of hide and seek. I will seek him so I will hide his word in my heart. Jeremiah chapter 29 makes an amazing promise, truly staggering. This is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you seek God with everything that you've got, you'll find him. He desires to be found by us. The Bible says that he loves us like a pursuing lover. That's how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. Life eternal forever, but life eternal that begins right here and right now. Life with purpose and with meaning, with significance and promise and with hope. If you've never stepped into that, if you've never personally taken hold of that life, our privilege as a church is to just give you the invitation. We're, we're just the mailman. Just to, just to say, hey, God has invited you into this relationship. You know enough now to begin this relationship, to begin to take the first step in that journey. 
want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. But man, it, it's, it's a sacred moment. And I'm going to ask for nobody to be moving, nobody to be stirring or, or being a distraction in any way, please. But just in this moment, if you want to take that first step in a relationship with Christ, then I want to invite you to pray. Just, just pray right where you're sitting. Pray silently, just from your heart to God's and say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And I will trust you more than I trust myself. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me. And I choose to believe that you rose again so that I could have a new life as well. And so in this moment, I accept. I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back so that I can receive your grace and your forgiveness. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. I want you to know that as a church, if that was your prayer, then we would love to, to help with what's next. If you're watching online, you can, you can let us know, maybe in the, in the chat or on our website at the Hub, or if you're in the room, when we dismiss in just a second, there's a place out underneath the front porch called the Hub. If you just take a moment, make a moment, and just on your way by, tell somebody there in an LHC shirt, I prayed that prayer today. Like I said, just so we can help with what's next. Also, if, if that was your prayer, would you mind just quietly raising your hand? Just, just raise your hand and hold it up high for a second. Your hand in the air is just a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And by the way, as a church family, there's nothing more important to us than that moment in your life and others like you. And so our family tradition around here is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.